Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 384th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting in this our ninth year across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where all the excitement happens. This is where technology meets entertainment. I'm counting down, actually, till Thursday when we're off to Vegas. And we're going to see the Righteous Brothers and the Blue Man Group and Celine Dion. I'm really looking forward to it. I'll give you the lowdown on those next week. I love Vegas. Go there frequently. I love it. An unbelievable, I think it's unbelievable anyway, 576,000 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every single day. So 576,000 576, hours of video are uploaded every single day. And it isn't all puppies and pussies and videos of loved ones. There are videos of people being stabbed to death, there's bestiality, there's suicides, there's even beheadings. All this stuff's uploaded to YouTube. It's really gruesome stuff. And it takes much more than machine learning algorithm to keep bad people off the site. We still need humans to be the first line of defence. And the reason for watching the gruesome content is to determine whether it should be pulled from Facebook before more of the 2.5 billion people on Facebook can see it. So their job's just to look at stuff and say, that, that can't go on, or yeah, that's okay. So they protect the 2.5 billion users for exposure to humanity's darkest impulses. They evaluate posts for potentially violating Facebook rules against hate speech and violence, terrorism, and they pretty quickly decide what stays up and what comes down. But reviewing the posts comes at significant cost. Constant exposure to violence, hatred and sordid acts can wreak havoc on a person's mental health. And uh, constant exposure to violence can cause psychological trauma. Worldwide, Facebook employs over 7,500 content moderators who decide what belongs online, and it's one of the fastest-growing jobs in tech. It's also the most difficult for employees to cope with. They're reviewing everything from offensive jokes to murder on a daily basis. Being a content moderator has been called the worst job in technology, and it isn't handled by Facebook employees. It's outsourced to contractors, and workers are pressured to keep up their keep their experiences private, forcing them to cope at work by resorting to drugs and jokes and and what one employee called trauma bonding. And that's having sex with the employees inside stairwells and other office hideaways so that they can distract themselves from the hideous images that they see every day. Sounds like a fun place to work, doesn't it? And many employees even start to believe the conspiracy theories they're regularly subjected to. 
for example, no longer believing 9-11 was a terrorist attack, thinking it was filmed on a green screen. What is scary that those who remain employed in this job for very long live in fear of retaliation from former colleagues. Some bring guns to work to protect themselves from other workers who have also gone loopy. <laughs> Employees are often fired after only a handful of errors and once they're out, ex-employees get PTSD-like symptoms and they get no additional support from Facebook or their contractors. All they get is two 15-minute breaks a day, a 30-minute lunch and nine minutes of wellness time. Jeez, you need more than five minutes. And you do all this for $15 an hour and no benefits. God. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about 1.75 million daily subscribers. It takes 30 seconds to read. Well, sometimes a minute. And every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine, new apps, to new technology, things like Hyperloop and autonomous cars and blockchain and a whole bunch of other stuff. A few days ago, we discussed the genius that's Elon Musk. We talked about all the things he wants to do from sustainable energy to the Hyperloop to the honeycomb underground system to um, – making sure that artificial intelligence doesn't spread too far. So to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology and ensure that you're able to compete in this ever-competitive world that's changing at 100 miles an hour, you've got to get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. Just simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. Now, a guy was recently arrested during a prostitution sting, and he was found guilty of pimping. And among the evidence against him was a series of Instagram messages he'd sent to a woman. One read, teamwork make the dream work. And he accompanied it with high heels and a money bag emoji placed at the end. Prosecutors said the message with the emojis implied a working relationship between the two. The defendant said he was just trying to strike up a romantic relationship. Very different. Same emojis. Now, between 2004 and 2019, there was an exponential rise in emojis and emoticon references in US court opinions, with over 30% of all cases appearing last year. As emoji and emoticon become more common, how emojis are displayed and what we interpret the emoji to mean will mean a larger issue for courts to contend with. Emoticons started appearing in court in 2004 and they've since become much more common, particularly in sex-related cases. More recently, they've overtaken emoticons and they've shown up in all types of cases, not just sex cases, but murder to robbery as well. In murder cases, emojis could be found in threats that took place between the defendant and the victim. And they now serve as evidence that reflect the defendant's state of mind or whether they had the propensity to commit the crime. It can happen in criminal law, but it can also happen in contract law. In 2017, a couple in Israel was charged thousands of dollars after a court ruled that their use of an emoji to a landlord signaled an attempt to rent his apartment. After sending an enthusiastic 
text confirming that they wanted the apartment. They attached a string of emojis, including champagne bottles, etc. Then, all of a sudden, they stopped responding to the landlord's text and went on to rent a different apartment. The court declared that the couple acted in bad faith, ruling that the um, emojis conveyed great optimism that led to the plaintiff's reliance on the defendant's desire to rent his apartment. They lost. A jilted Frenchman inundated his ex-girlfriend with messages. One of those messages included a gun emoji. And for that, he was found guilty and sentenced to jail after a judge ruled the emoji could indeed be interpreted as a death threat. Now, emojis are an important part of many people's communication. And so you need to think twice. You know, if, if just imagine if you've got a, uh, a winky face following a text. You're going to read that sentence very differently than if it didn't have the winky face. In the matter of the prostitution case, an expert specialising in sex trafficking, trafficking was called in to testify and he said that the high heels and bags of money supported the interpretation that the defendant was accused of sex trafficking, essentially translating to wear your high heels and come make some money. He lost. So millions of potentially regretful tweets could inevitably cause lawsuits. So be very careful about what emojis you use when you send out texts. My interview today is with David Nussbaum. Now, I've spoke to him again. I spoke to him recently, and I was out there again yesterday um, with the uh, iHeart people, and he is one of the foremost experts in hologram technology in the world. I absolutely love this technology. So this is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with David Nussbaum in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, for eight years, we've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting people. We've talked about their businesses. We've talked about the services they provide. 
the obstacles that they faced. And I guess underneath it all, what we try to do is to see what it is that makes them tick, what it drives them. Because only 2% of businesses succeed, 98% fail. So what do the 2% do that the 98% don't do? And we hope that we can share some tips with you that'll make you one of the 2%, not one of the 98%. So on this program, we try to address a wide variety of industries and the fascinating people that make the companies in those industries successful. Now, many of you would have seen the two-pack hologram that was performed at Coachella in 2012. The technology is absolutely amazing at bringing performers that have passed away back to life. And I was fortunate to have been invited to the Hologram Theatre in Hollywood to meet David Nussbaum, who is one of the foremost experts with the technology on the planet. And Hologram USA is celebrating its fifth anniversary in February, and they're going to have a huge party and I'm going to be invited. No, I just made that bit up. But now they probably be forced into it. Now, Hologram USA is famous for bringing late icons back to posthumously perform while beaming living legends around the world. They uh, send the best of the world to the rest of the world. And they can beam anyone from anywhere to anywhere else in real time. It was, it was just the time I spent at um, the Hologram Theatre in Hollywood was just extraordinary. So I was fortunate to meet David and see how it all works and watch a wide variety of holograms of various artists and not only singers but comedians and ballerinas and all sorts of people. It was really fantastic. And David Nussbaum is a lovely guy and he's got an amazing history. He's worked in the television, radio and media industry for 20 years, although he doesn't look old enough with a focus in the hologram space for five years. His hologram highlights um, are many, including Juan Gabriel and Jenny Rivera digital resurrection memorial concerts, as well as special event contacts contracts with Sony Pictures, ABC's Jimmy Kimmel Live, Universal Studios, NBC's The Voice, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, and on and on and on. So since uh, David's been working in the hologram field, he's been seen domestically and internationally on almost every television show there is, Good Morning America, CNN, NBC, Fox, CBS, the whole the whole ball game. And uh, he's been heard on NPR and the Howard Stern Show, quoted in Popular Mechanics, Rolling Stone, just to name a couple. He's, um, he's a real famous dude. Not only that, he's smart and he's really humble. It's really interesting. Hi, David. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Well, I thank you so much for that amazing introduction. I hope I could... Uh, I'm not sure I could live up to that. that when you, you when you say it out loud, it, when you say it out loud, it... it uh, it, uh, it, you know, it actually makes me a little bit nervous to talk to you now. <laughs> but thanks for having me on. Thanks. It, having said that, the stuff you've done is really incredible. You know, you, um, you've done a hell of a lot of stuff. And in 2010, you began hosting a top 10 celebrity interview podcast, which was called Decently Funny. 
and it ran for five years, so you have to be half good. And uh, I know how hard it is to get great interview guests. It really is difficult. And yet you attracted over 250 celebrity long-form interviews. Who were some of your most amazing guests? Who were, who were those that you sat there after the interview finished and thought, wow, that was incredible? Yeah, well, uh, we did it every Saturday for five years. And like you, uh, I, I booked my own guests. And so I used social media uh, yeah. to attract the guests. So uh, it would take me hours and hours and hours to find a single guest. Then it would take me hours and hours and hours to research that guest. And then we would do a one-hour show, and then we would edit it for hours and hours. I mean, we probably spent 10 or 15 hours on every single episode. It's a pain uh, in the ass, isn't it? <laughs> it was, but it was also a, um, a, it was a labor of love. And yeah. because guys like you and I are real passionate about talking to people who we admire and people that make a difference. And uh, so for me, I really was because I was new to Hollywood. I wanted to, I wanted to reach out to people in the entertainment industry. Yeah. And my first ever guest on uh, Decently Funny was a man uh, named Sam Simon, who may he rest in peace, who he's no longer with us. He, yeah. he died. Uh, he died of cancer. But Sam Simon co-hosted, uh, I'm sorry, co-created The Simpsons. Yep. And uh, he was the showrunner for Taxi and Drew Carey show. I mean, the guy is a legend and he took all of his money uh, when he passed and he gave it all to um, to animal uh, research and he they created the Sam Simon Foundation. So he is uh, by far, you know, because of Sam Simon, there was uh, my podcast, Decently Funny, because then I could go to any single celebrity. Sure. I could go to any single person and say, what do you mean you don't want to do it? Sam Simon did it and he created the Simpsons. I mean, what, are you better than Sam Simon? So because <laughs> of that, I'm, I managed to, um, yeah, 250 celebrity interviews. Uh, on episode nine, I met my now wife, and, and she's the mother of my two children, and I just reached out to her early on, and she came in. She, she was a reality, she won a reality show. Right. And I watched, I watched the reality show. And so she came on the show, and then we soon fell in love and had children. So, I mean, this podcast actually changed my life. I met um, Henry Hill, who was the uh, inspiration and the subject matter for uh, the film Goodfellas. Right. Uh, Henry Hill admitted to murder on my podcast while sit by the way, all of these took place while sitting in my living room in my old <laughs> Hollywood apartment. So I have a murderer in my apartment. Oh, okay. uh, so yes, it, that was pretty insane. And I also met Alki David, who is the CEO of hologram USA on yep. my podcast. Yeah. So I've met, so because of this podcast, I've, I met my wife and had my children. I met the CEO of, of the now, you know, world famous hologram uh, USA company. So that podcast really kind of changed things for me and for a lot of people. Yeah, that's great. So, how did you get the nickname Nuzzy? Was somebody. Well, my last name is Nussbaum. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, my la my last name is my last name is Nussbaum, and so uh, when you play sports uh, or when you're just hanging out with your friends. In uh, in grammar school, and grade school, and high school, they uh, everybody's got a nickname. You know, Smith is Smitty, and Jones is Jonesy, and Nussbaum became Nussy, and then you know that changed to Nuzzy. I don't know. It's just we, it was just a, a, a kind of a shortened version of my last name, and uh, it kind of just it stuck with me. Yeah, because you know, David, I'm look, I, 
uh, I'm a, I was a Jewish boy from New Jersey on my block. Right. It was seven David. Seven <laughs> David. And then, like, when the lights came on, you know, when the street lights came on and all the kids in the neighborhood are playing, and all the mothers would go, David, 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 come home, David. It's like, you know, how many, how many David? So, uh, uh, Nuzzy, Nuzzy kind of stuck because it separated me from everybody else. All the other David. So, you saw the power of hologram technology when Tupac performed at Coachella. That was 2012. Yeah. Um, so... On Decently Funny, you interviewed Johnny Fratto, son of a mob yes. boss. Had it, had, yes. What's your affinity with, you seem to have this penchant for bad guys. <laughs> I, I was a, uh, I'm a lifelong fan of the Howard Stern show. Yeah, uh, when I was growing up, I wanted to be Howard Stern. I wanted to be the, I wanted to, I wanted to host my own show. I wanted to interview all of my uh, all of my favorites. Um, and because I'm a huge fan of the Howard Stern show, I wanted to interview everybody that Howard Stern interviewed. And like I said earlier, Sam Simon was a regular guest on the Howard Stern show. And so was Johnny Frotto. Johnny right. Frotto became, he became sort of, you know, famous for a lot of di different reasons. One for being the son of a mob boss, but other because he was a, uh, he was a very outspoken uh, member of the, you know, the Howard Stern family, and he was always right. on. And he never held anything back. And he was so interesting. Uh, he is also gone, unfortunately. Yeah. Everybody that I fell in love with through my podcast all died of cancer. You know, right. it's crazy. Well, no, I mean, it's 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 insane. So, uh, but yeah, so Johnny Frado comes on the podcast, uh, and uh, we became really great friends, and. Throughout our friendship, you know, we did many things together, but he, in, he introduced me to the guys who did the, uh, the Tupac hologram. Right. And he said to me, you know, he had this kind of you know, uh, Midwest kind of mobby kind of uh, accent. I'm not even going to attempt it, but maybe Google Johnny Frotto and then you'll yeah. he, I mean, he is everything that you would expect a Johnny Frotto to look and sound like. It's right. insane. So he says to me that he knows the guys who, who do it. And, um, and the guys who own the patents for this hologram technology uh, are uh, European. They are really interested in licensing the patents and the technology to somebody in the United States uh, who will not only exploit it and really turn it into a business, but to also police it, uh, make sure that nobody sure. infringes on the technology. So, so um I've been working for Alki David doing some TV stuff for him. And Alki David is uh, one of the very famous David Leventis um, billionaires who own and control 27 uh, countries of bottling and distribution for the whole Coca-Cola family. The guy's loaded. Yep. He's known as the eccentric billionaire. And he's also known as kind of being a forward thinking entrepreneur. So he took all that Coca-Cola money and he, turned it into film on which became a globally uh successful uh internet uh television company and then he turned that into something else and he turned that into, and then so he he was turned on by this hologram technology just like the rest of us and so i introduced johnny frato to alki david and johnny brought in giovanni palma and uve moss the inventor and the and his um his license global license partner uh, and we all kind of met in, in a room together and right there, um, 
in February of 2014, uh, we all kind of shook on it, and Hologram USA was born. That's very interesting because Elkie... <laughs> Elkie's a really interesting guy. He, he's a great guy, and he's very smart. Um, for those of you who don't know him, he's heavily tattooed. He's a real extrovert and uh, very interesting. I, and I can understand him getting along really well with Johnny Fratto. They're sort of a similar sort of character. Um, yeah. But you strike me as being totally the opposite to Elkie. So oh, yeah. What's, what's the... How do you two guys complement each other? How much input does Elkie have in the business and how much of that is just simply providing funding? Well, Elkie is the – well, we are we are the exact – we're polar opposites. Um, I don't think you could find two people more opposite, although oh, right. we, do our, we do have a similar passion for the, the hologram uh, technology and the hologram company. Uh, yeah, he loves it. I, sp- he, I spoke to him about it, he, and um, he, he really, yeah. really loves it. Yeah, well, he has, because of his money and because of his kind of creative way of thinking, he likes to create his own productions. He likes to spend his money uh, on kind of building big productions and, and doing things as part of a Hologram USA production, right? Uh, which then plays at the theater, or he wants to put that on the road and tour it. Now, I come from a background of uh, sales. I talked earlier about how I wanted to be the Howard Stern show. I was never tall enough. Stern. I, ne- I, 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 never, I wasn't tall enough to be Howard Stern, yes. But whenever I got a job at a radio station, the general manager never put me on the air. He put me uh, in the sales department. Right. Uh, so I would be the guy to sell the commercial breaks between the, the, you know, the, between the, the talking, right. Or like I worked for the Yankees. I worked for the, the Mets. I worked for the Dodgers. I worked for the Lakers. So during the play by play, I was the guy to sell everything. So I really know how to sell. Uh, so I thought I could sell this technology. I could reach out to people, to estates, to producers, to celebrities, to CEOs, to museums, to amusement parks. And I said, this is the technology that was famously used by Tupac so he could posthumously perform at Coachella, which made Coachella a household name. Sure. It made Tupac immortal. It, I mean, the, the record company loved it because his record sales went, up, went through the charts for the first time since he died 10 years earlier. Yep. So, um, so whereas, you know, Alki spends his money on creating amazing, elaborate productions, I make him money to, uh, uh, by, by selling the technology and selling our productions to other people. Right. So, one of the, might have been the first gig you ever did, but it was beaming Julian Assange of WikiLeaks fame out of the Ecuadorian embassy in London to a speaking job in the USA. Now, Assange is wanted in the US, so that must have had some real logistical issues getting that lined up. Oh, yeah. Did you... Yeah, that was crazy. Did you have to work with the government at all? Or? We had to work with the Ecuadorian government and the Ecuadorian embassy, yeah. You know, it was wild. Um, I, want, I knew that I, we wanted to make a big splash. Uh, and so for our first job, like we did America's Got Talent, but I don't consider that a real 
a real first job. I mean, our first job was something that I, I wanted to make kind of a global, I wanted to like, you know, plant our flag in the ground and say, okay, yeah. here we are. Grab the We're a business. Yep. I wanted to grab the headlines and so did Alfie. Alfie loves publicity. And so what I thought would be cool would be to beam somebody who can't be somewhere to that place. And so I called every, I called Charles, I called the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the prison where Charles Manson was incarcerated. I right. said, how cool would it be if we could beam Charles Manson out of prison? Um, uh, Charles Manson was way too crazy. I could not, uh, we, it would have been a disaster. Uh, but then I also called OJ Simpson was uh, living inside the Las Vegas penitentiary. I yep. talked to the warden for hours and hours trying to convince him how cool would it be to put OJ Simpson on stage to take questions from the press and from the public uh, in real time as a hologram without him ever having to leave his cell. And so we went through a lot of different no's and I was really starting to get, um, you know, starting to lose. I was frustrated. Yeah, I was starting to lose patience. And then I got a call from a speaking job company called the Nantucket Project, which is a lot like TED Talks. Yeah, and they 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 have the best uh, speakers from around the world, and people spend thousands and thousands of dollars to hear them talk and to talk with them and stuff like that. So they said, "Do you have anybody interesting? Can we use your technology for interesting for anything interesting?" And we started working together on bringing Julian Assange from the Ecuadorian embassy to the Nantucket Project in a small theater called the Dreamland Theater on Nantucket Island, which is a small little yep. island off the coast of Massachusetts. Yep. And so, yes, so the embassy only allowed three people inside the, the, the building. Right. And so we sent Alki David, Alki, so <laughs> could you imagine Alki David, Mr. Crazy, you know, eccentric billionaire, standing in the same conference room and, uh, and working with Julian Assange. Uh, <laughs> that is, I, Alki was thrilled that he was able to participate in that. So we had Alki David, we had a, um, a satellite producer right. uh, from satellite company that we had hired, and we had a camera guy slash uh, kind of gopher. Like, so we had a, a, a runner gopher camera guy, we had a producer for the satellite, and then we had Alki who was kind of managing that whole thing. And then on my end, we built an enormous hologram projection stage uh, at the Dreamland Theater uh, that can take the feed. Because, you know, our technology, uh, basically, you know, you could beam anybody. I mean, Julian Assange could have beamed anywhere via satellite. But what we right. do is, instead of live via satellite, we do live via hologram. So we so took his satellite feed and we, we made it appear as if he was really on that stage in Nantucket. And to everybody in that audience and to everybody around the world, it, it looked there. like Assange was on that stage. Yes. Okay. So, does where does the technology take place? So if you only need a cameraman at the with the person that you're filming, um, where where does the hologram technology take place? So, I imagine that it would need multiple cameras, three sixty degree sort of um, photography, but I guess it doesn't. Right. So they just send a like a television beam back to wherever you are, and then you create it into a hologram at 
the site? Yes. So that's what's so great about our technology. It only needs a single camera. Uh, we, wow. we film everything in 6K or 8K, and then we render it back to match whatever the source would be. Uh, if we do Kimmel or if, if we do television, most of the time it's in HD, like 1080 sure. or even 720. So we'll yeah. render it back, but we want to shoot everything in the highest quality um, uh, production possible. Yeah. And so uh, the Hologram USA technology is based on an old theater trick called Pepper's Ghost. And it's, you know, uh, it's hundreds of years old. It used to be a, a magic trick, basically, where you would reflect an image from one place to another using mirrors and glass. And over the hundreds of years, it's evolved. And then uh, the patents that we own are patents that give us the ability to not make it look like a ghostly image, but we can actually make it look like there's a real person on that stage. And when we put Assange on on the stage as a hologram using our Pepper's Ghost patents, we put him right next to a live interviewer who was sitting on a, on a similar stool. We, we sent a white stool to the Ecuadorian embassy. We sent a white stool to the Dreamland Theater in Nantucket, and we put a real interviewer on that stool, and then we put Assange on the other stool, and we faced them towards each other like they were doing an interview next to each other in real time. And to everybody's amazement and shock, there they are in real time talking to each other as if they were sharing the same space where they could really be together. It was like an intimate in you know, conversation, but yep. they were really thousands of miles apart. I guess most of our, majority of our listeners probably have not seen in in real life the, the hologram performance. I've got to tell you, it is incredible. You would swear that you were watching a real person up there on the stage. It is amazing. It's just, and it's, it's, it's in three-dimensional, it's absolutely phenomenal it's really just like watching a live performer on stage so with with a real live person you film them let's say you want to create a hologram like say elvis now the the biggest pain in the ass i guess is getting the rights now once you've got the rights how do you proceed from there when that person's no longer with us so once you have the rights, which is, you're absolutely right, it, it can be a real pain in the ass, but it's because we're still a brand new medium. We're brand new technology. So getting the rights are difficult because people aren't sure about this technology quite yet. You know, they've seen Tupac and then maybe they've seen one or two other things, but it's still very scary because most of the rights are owned by the son or by the wife. Yeah. the widow, you know, or by the, sometimes by the parents. And they're like, well, what are you going to do with these rights exactly? And then it's, it, it's more of an education process than, than anything else. So once you obtain, yeah. So once you get the right, then you have to work with the record company. If it's in fact an artist, a musical right. artist, yep. uh, then you have to license that music. But uh, we take video. There's a couple of different ways to do it. There's, I'd say there's three main ways to digitally resurrect an icon. The first way is by taking footage, actual footage that exists, 
And if it's good enough and if it's shot just the right way and if you can alter it in post-production, you can do a, a, a technique called rotoscoping, which is you remove the background of the image, leaving only the subject matter, Elvis, yep. in this case, uh, remaining. So, it's, so it would look like it's just Elvis singing and performing in, on, a black, on a black screen. And then we would, uh, post-production, would, and editing would um, clean it up, would make it sharper, would uh, add some digital effects to it. Uh, it would try to, we would try to make it look as realistic as possible because most of the stuff that we would get our hands on would be from the 50s or the 60s or the 70s. So yeah. the, uh, the quality wouldn't be as great. So then we make it look as great as possible. And then using our hologram uh, technology and patents, we then project it onto the stage so Elvis can perform again. Um, that is rotoscoping. There's two other ways, and I'll just go through, through them real quickly. There is the way that, uh, that Tupac was done, uh, which is no longer a, um, a big secret. Tupac was done using a body double. Uh, the estate uh, had to uh. approve the body double. And the face, head, mouth, everything above the neck, complete CGI. So wow. just like, you know, um, any of those Avatar or okay. Benjamin Buttons or, you know, any of those movies where they create the, the actor, the performer as a, uh, using computer generated um, images, that is how Tupac's entire face was done. And then that, the, the CGI head, this is also how Ronald Reagan was done for the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, right. body double and CGI head. And then it, that the head is stitched onto the body in editing, in production, just like you would make a movie, but yep. it's a head replacement. It's a, it's a virtual head replacement, a digital head replacement. And then the music, or in Reagan's case, the, the, uh, the speeches were synced with the mouth movements of the CGI and, uh, and then, you know, tightened up. And then, of course, the estate has to approve everything before he or she can can you know take the stage yeah. for the first time yeah so if you if you were doing elvis and all you had was a um a one minute clip of him doing a song um could you then pr produce a whole 45 minute presentation from that two minute three minute um original clip so no i mean that we would take the, the two minute or three minute clip would would be the only hologram that we could create from that. Of course, we could create a whole 45-minute presentation because then we could license footage, we could do pictures, we can have other artists come on and, and do kind of um, homage performances uh, of Elvis. So, I mean, yeah, I could create an entire 45-minute or even a 90-minute um, Broadway musical, the Elvis musical. Uh, and then at the very end, maybe Elvis comes out as a hologram and kind of just slams the door shut, makes everybody go crazy because hologram Elvis just left the building, essentially. Yeah, so I could. Yeah, we, we could absolutely do that. That's incredible. Now, when, when you were showing me around um, the hologram theater and how it all works, what really amazed me was how you project the image onto the floor and then have it come up on a 
45 degree mylar screen and from the audience it looks like a natural vertical performance how the hell does that work so have you ever you know you ever drive in your car and then maybe right after we left say i handed you a business card maybe you throw the business card up on your dashboard while you're driving but it appears like the business card is on the hood of the car because the glass from your front windshield reflects it onto in, into the open air. Sometimes right. you'll see that like if you're watching TV and it'll, it'll look like the TV is outside because your sliding glass door just reflects it. It's the same thing. It's a, it's an illusion. We reflect an image from one place to another. And over the years, obviously wonderful. Like look, the, the, the early inventor of Pepper's ghost, uh, John, Dr. John Henry Pepper was an English scientist, and he made this happen in the 1860s. He says, I can use a 45-degree angle of this glass, and then I can reflect in a, 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 an actor who's um, behind, backstage. I can, I can reflect him off a mirror and then through this glass. You know, it's a very scientific and mathematical kind of process. Right. Um, it's not... It's not magic, but it appears magical. It's really just scientific and, and, and mathematical. And so, yes, what we use now, what, you know, what was once mirrors and thick pieces of glass, are now high-resolution, even 4K-resolution LED pixels. And the, the thinnest, you saw just how thin, thousands of an inch thick, yes. patented hologram projection plastics that then take that image and reflect it and throw it onto the stage. So they're no longer ghostly figures because of these thick pieces of glass diluting the image. But now it actually increases the, 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 uh, the definition of the image. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really, it's a really impressive illusion. It's a great holographic. Certainly is. Are you giving away any of David Copperfield's secrets here? I, cannot say david copperfield for, but yes this is a this is a magic trick that's been used for hundreds of years uh it is a it is a uh, it is a way to make something look like it's there when it's not really there if uh which is why it was so impressive when snoop dog okay let's go back to 2012 when snoop took the stage with hologram tupac yeah snoop was basically on that stage performing by himself even though the audience saw hologram tupac and Snoop together, standing next to each other, performing together. Snoop just, he was looking at Tupac on display monitors because just because the audience sees something there, he can't see it because it doesn't really exist. It's an illusion. Yeah. So as long as you're sitting in just the right seat, just from the right angle, you're going to see what we want you to see. So a hologram simply entertainment or do they have an application in the home or at retail or even on the factory floor or movies and theater well i think all of the above uh we use it because we're an entertainment company and a production company we mostly use it for entertainment when we beamed you know jimmy kimmel to the country music awards uh that yeah, was fantastic. a I mean, it was, that was great. I mean, what, what Assange did for us globally, I'd say Kimmel did for us um, domestically. We beamed him to the Country Music Awards three years in a row. Yep. And that was live on TV. Yep. And so, and then we started beaming artists back. As they were winning and accepting awards, we would beam them from the Country Music Awards in Nashville 
to uh, Kimmel's stage to perform on live on TV uh, as holograms. So, so we like to do a lot of TV stuff. I've beamed, we've beamed uh, lots of CEOs around the country, around the world, uh, so they can speak in multiple uh, cities at the same time. Uh, it's used for politics. Probably the best case study that we have is uh, our partners, our global partners at MDH Hologram in Europe uh, used the, the technology that we have. We, uh, it was used to beam an unknown politician named Narendra Modi in India from the safety of his own office in Delhi yep. without ever having to leave, didn't have to hire security, didn't have to take those light, long flight times uh, and, and long hotel stays in India, a country with more than 800 million registered voters. He was beamed in front of tens of millions of uh, Indian voters, hundreds of hologram projection stages at a time over the course of the final few weeks of his campaign. And uh, what the voters saw of Modi, like they liked it enough to then show up for the election, and they voted a Narendra Modi in as now the new Prime Minister of India. Yeah, that's so a, it isn't just for entertainment. It is it changed the world. Modi is now the, is now the Prime Minister of India. So... Um, and of course, now we're bringing back Reagan, and we are talking to other political figures and potential presidential candidates for 2020 here in the United States. So there is a lot more going on than just you know bringing back the dead to to perform uh, at a concert. Right. I'm a, I'm a speaker, and I'd love to be able to. Somebody rings me up and says, hey, "We've got a we've got a great gig for you in Cape Town." Uh, mm. And I think, oh, geez, I'm going to be sitting on a plane for the rest of my fucking natural life. I don't want to do that. So uh, theoretically, I could get a hologram produced and uh, just beam it down over there. So what sort of cost would I or a CEO or whatever be looking at to produce, first of all, the hologram of whoever it is? And then what cost would the venue incur? Just sort of ballpark so we've got some idea. Well, there's, again, there's a few different ways to do it. I would say to from anywhere to anywhere else in real time will cost anywhere from tens of thousands of dollars yep. to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. So it doesn't always make financial sense to do something. Sometimes you do it just because you want to kind of make a statement. Yep. And also sponsors, sponsors uh, all the time pick up the tab because we notice that when a hologram shows up somewhere, so do massive audiences, and those audiences all have social media accounts and iPhones. Sure. So when we when the ho- when when a Bob Pritchard hologram shows up in Cape Town, you could be sure that the the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in that audience are all going to have an iPhone, and they're all going to be taking a video of it, and they're all going to be posting it on Instagram. So it oftentimes makes sense because you now have a global distribution center of social media because of the hologram. Right. Uh, but yes, it will cost you tens of thousands of dollars to start hundreds of thousands of dollars for something pretty amazing. And then we've done productions in the seven figures as well. Okay. So what then does the, what costs the, 
does the venue incur? What have they got to do to be able to put me on in Cape Town or whatever it is? Well, the, yeah, the venue has has most of the cost. So we have uh, aluminum box truss. We have that proprietary hologram projection foil. We have the LEDs or the projectors as the projection source. Uh, we have the stage deck and the, and the whole setting. But we have to build a hologram projection portal, a hologram projection stage. It's kind of massive in size, but from the audience's perspective, they don't even know that it's there because of the way we build it, because we build it like it's a magic trick. Right. right? Uh, from your side, you don't have to leave your living room. Yeah. You could be sitting in your radio room where you are right now. I could beam you doing this live uh, to not just Cape Town, but I could put you in 10 cities at the exact same time, and you could be doing maybe a, your radio show on all seven continents at the exact same time, live via hologram. I'll have to, but, talk, yes, have to talk to Alki about funding it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know if Alki could afford to do that. Because that, that, that. That really does start to get expensive. But um, once we get to a, a place where theaters, because right now theaters are hiring us to put in uh, projection stages as permanent structures that right. we can fly, that, that, so we could, we could actually like drop them into place when it's a hologram uh, production, and then we raise it out of the way when it's not a hologram production. So once we get to a place where there's dozens, even hundreds of hologram projection stages around the world, then those costs no longer exist. The stages are already in place, and then all you're doing is just basically, you know, renting doing it out thing. like yeah. it, like it, yeah, you're just doing your thing. You're just renting a theater, and they happen to have, you know, a hologram uh, stage as opposed to an LED wall or a movie screen. It'll just be one more way to get somewhere where you can't be. It's fan it's fantastic technology. David, we're out of time, unfortunately, but thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you want to find out more about holograms and to contact David, go to Hologram USA. That's hologram, H-O-L-O-G-R-A-M-U-S-A dot com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business right after this message. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network. And we're broadcasting today from Hollywood Boulevard, Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. I love we're talking about holograms um, and interviewing with David. It, it's amazing. And I've often wondered how somebody like David Copperfield can be on the stage one second and down at the back of the audience the next second. And now I know it's a hologram. And they're so lifelike. I mean, you would swear that they were real people. So if you get a chance to um, uh, have a look at the new hologram technology, 
do so. You know, Americans take about, wait for it, 700 billion pills a year, and yet we continue to get sicker. (laughs) So maybe there's a much easier and a hell of a lot cheaper way to get well. Now, pharmacy, F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, very clever name, is a food bank which provides healthy foods, and these foods are heavy on fruit, vegetables, lean meats, low-sodium options, and it's just one of a number of groundbreaking efforts that finally consider food a critical part of a patient's medical care. They treat food as a medicine that can have just as much power to heal as drugs can. And so far, the several hundred people who rely on the fresh food pharmacy have lowered their risk of serious diabetes complication by 40%, cut hospitalisation by 70% compared with other diabetic people in the area who don't have access to the program. So this year, on the basis of its success, the Fresh Food Pharmacy is tripling number of patients that it supports. Now, more and more studies are revealing that people's health is the sum of much more than the medications they take and the tests that they get. Health is affected by how much you sleep, exercise, how much stress you have, and what you're eating at every meal. Food is becoming a particular focus of doctors, hospitals, insurers, and even employers who are frustrated by the slow progress of drug treatments in reducing diseases like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, and even cancer. A growing body of research supports the idea that when people eat well, they stay healthier and are more likely to control chronic disease and perhaps even avoid them altogether. When you prioritise food and teach people how to prepare healthy meals, it can end up being more impactful than medication. So that old saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, just might have some validity to it. Now, we love to salute entrepreneurs on this program, so I love this story. 81-year-old Marshall Medoff, with no formal training in science, is on the verge of revolutionising industry by finding a way to change the molecular structure of plant waste. Now, cellulose is the most abundant organic compound in the world, located within the cell walls of plants. Now, there's a huge potential to make biofuels from the sugar found in cellulose, but scientists have just not been able to find a cost-effective method of extracting it. So Medoff, 81, set his sights on identifying a method for which is in the form of sugar molecules. Cellulose is everywhere, he says. There's just so much cellulose in the world and nobody has managed to use any of it. So while other scientists were experimenting with experiments, Expensive methods for extracting sugar from plant waste. Medoff's method succeeded by using electron beams, which are inexpensive. So, in addition to the development of environmentally friendly gasoline and jet fuel, Medoff's company will use sugar from cellulose to make alternative plastics that have the ability to disintegrate in as little as 11 weeks. Now, it's extraordinary to think that an 81-year-old with no background in science whatsoever can solve such a problem. 
but maybe 80 is the new 40. Go, Marshall. I'm on your side, mate. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you are taking up too much space. Get out of the road and let somebody pass who wants to succeed. It's easier and it's more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anyone can do the ordinary. And if you want to be ordinary and boring, keep going. If not, bust out. See how amazing it can be. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll be back from Vegas and I'll be broadcasting from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life. We'll be right back.